It's good to see you all here this morning. And uh, as Brian greeted you, I repeat that. Thanks for joining us. Those of you online, we appreciate you checking in with us. Be sure and uh, let us know you're there. Say hi. And we have a gift we'd like to give our guests, both online as well as if you're here with us. After this service is over, right out back, we've got a table. Uh, there's a gift for you. I'd love to say hi. I'll probably find myself up front here for a few moments, but we are so glad to have all of you with us and good to see some people coming back. Um, we get to do what we get to do as a church. And uh, as Brian was giving us an update, and just I'm reminded of the privilege it is to do what God has given us to do. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, that wasn't what I was hoping for right there, man. I was hoping for some streamers coming from the sky. Sometimes my wife and I will go out for hikes. We actually enjoy doing that quite a bit. So we'll just go out for these little walks and hikes up through all the mountains and around our town. And it's not uncommon that we'll say, man, we get to live here. And we just love the fact that now we get to live here. We got so, so much going on, so much good. And are there challenges? Well, certainly, but we get to be a part of what God's doing. And as a church... We get to do what God's given us. Uh, the title of my message is, in fact, We Get to Do This. There are notes available online. Uh, you can click right now and follow along with us or come back to it later, just some, uh, some of the direction we're going in our message. But we get to do this, and we're seeing in our study in Nehemiah that there is a good work that God is doing. We're going to see that today. What Nehemiah is a part of as he is leading the task to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem uh, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, they've returned, the, that third and final wave has come back to, to Judea, they're there in the city of Jerusalem, and, and Nehemiah has a conviction, he's got a vision to build this wall. This is a work um, worthy of opposition, and I want you to think about that for a second, because that's really the direction this whole passage takes us. A work that is worthy of opposition, because sometimes we think, well, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, right, if I'm doing good things, if I'm raising my family, we're kind of living by some rules, uh, we do stuff that we think is, is, is upright, well, then certainly God's for that, and if God is for it, then he's just going to usher us through it, and it's like all good, right? All roses, well, the truth is, good work always has opposition. No doubt you've experienced that in your own life. You as a family, maybe you set out to do a budget for the first time in your entire career. <laughs> and guess what? There's opposition pretty much by day two. Uh, you decide as a business and the, the company you work with or work for that you decide on some new policy, some things that are healthy, and it's good decisions, it's a good idea, but there's always going to be opposition to that which is good. And I think the greater the work, guess what? The greater the opposition. And we see that in our story today. The building of the wall was a good thing. Nehemiah had a good vision. He, he knew God had sent him to be a part of this. And so uh, I believe God's, God has this. And we know God's going to show his favor in the completion of that. Um, but let's not forget that, that just because we're God's people, because you're part of the family, that there's not going to be opposition. God is, in fact, doing a good work. And we've seen it 
Throughout our study, Ezra, we started back in the late fall, um, and then after the holidays, we've jumped into Nehemiah. Those two books together, along with Second Chronicles, kind of give us this broad, big story of God's people getting back where they're, where they're supposed to be, uh, a place of blessing, a place where they will minister from a position. A um, couple introductory thoughts before we get into the passage. Number one, he's doing a work in your life right here and right now. I want all of you to know that. Even if you're a guest among us, and I don't even know you, uh, if you're watching online and you, you're feeling a little disconnected from the people in the room or from, from others, I want all of you to know that God is doing a work in your life right here, right now. It's not just about what happened 10 years ago when you had a really cool experience. It's not just about when we finally get into a building and then we'll finally, no, Today, right here, right now, I believe God is doing a work in your life. A couple ideas there. One, if you don't know, for sure, if you don't personally know, Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's your Lord. He died on the cross for you. He took your place. If you don't know that as a fact for you, if you've not put your faith in that, that's the first thing you want to respond to. That is the best work of God he's done for us, is he has saved us. He's made a way of redemption. We can be right with God the Creator, God the Father, because Jesus, his Son, came to this earth, took my sin, took our place on a cross so that I could be right with God. That's the gospel. God is doing a good work right now. I uh, got to uh, sit with a young lady a couple weeks ago and help her understand the good news of the gospel. And I saw it transform her life right in front of me. She became a believer in Jesus in that moment because she said, yes, I do believe this is true about Christ. And she understood that. So when she left, her life had been changed because God is doing a good work. Not just in the past, not just someday in the future. He's doing a good work in your life. So one, make sure you know he's your savior. Even if, and perhaps especially if, you've been in church world for a long time. I think that's one of those anxious thoughts that pastors always have is we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to see people around us that they just didn't know God. Even though they sat among us and they, they went to church, they did religious things, they were really good people, nice people, but they never made that faith their faith. They just thought, yeah, those are probably some good truths out there. Uh, I appreciate what Deanne said in her, in her testimony. We're a mission church. We're about people knowing the mission of God, and that mission is to redeem you, to, to, to show his love for us. So if you don't know him, you need to know him. If you're among many in this room that I can see and many following us, you're among those who are, in fact, born again. You know it. You have a time in your life when you came to faith in Christ. God is doing a good work in your life right now. He's growing you each and every day. The challenges that come our way, those growth opportunities through biblical teaching, through counsel, through encouragement, through hard knocks, God is doing a good work. He's not left you. He's not saying, you know, you've disappointed me. I've given you several chances, so I'm going to check out. God doesn't do that. He's engaged with our life. And the challenges, the trials that perhaps you've recently experienced, look now in the rearview mirror and see that God actually allowed some of those things to get our attention on him. He's growing us. So one, he's doing a good work in your life right here, right now. Don't forget it. Number two, he's doing a good work through you. He's doing a good work through you, through us as a church. 
one of the last statements we like to make a big point of is we're serving the Lord together. God's doing a work through us as a congregation in this city, uh, ministries that we're able to partner with around the world, missions that we support. He's doing a good work through us, his church. He's called us to live on mission for him. He's called us to to take these truths that we learn, even from uh, an individual 2,400 years ago building a wall, we learn principles from him on how we can live on mission right now. He's doing a work through his church, and it's his work. It's his church. We see it in the ministries around us, and we get to be a part of that. Uh, Brian uh, did a great job of reintroducing to us what we've called our all-in campaign. Uh, where we've taken a few weeks, and, and, and I just want to pick up on where he left off. Honestly, as a pastor and as leaders, it is hard to sometimes talk about money and financial needs with confidence, only because we're so protective of the hour we get to spend together that sometimes we say, well, it'll all work out. And we've been called to say, no, we need to address needs. The finances in your individual life, as you lead your family, the choices you make, but even as a church, And so about a year and a half ago, we paused and took a few weeks and gave emphasis to what does it mean for a church to say, hey, we want to be all in with what God is doing with a physical body of people in a physical location. And so without apology, we take a few weeks now, the next two weeks, and we talk about uh, what that means for us and what we're being called to do. Uh, A couple lines that we used early on, Flagstaff needs Jesus. Would you guys say amen to that? Flagstaff needs Jesus, and Grace needs a home. And so we're thankful that he's given us a physical place uh, that we can now operate from and through uh, for, for years to come. Very grateful, without any sense of hesitation. Grateful for what God has done in this building, in this room, for 27 years. It's amazing the lives that have been touched here. We love that. Well, I can't wait to see uh, us un- unpack what ministry will look like with our property So because we have a a, a mission of people needing Jesus and we need a home, we want to be a church that continues to be, another phrase, hospitable with the gospel. Like we have the gospel. As I just shared a few moments ago, if you don't yet know Christ as Savior, and I guarantee 97% of the people listening to me say, yeah, I got that. What's the next point? Right, We know the gospel. You're born again. You're his child. We get to know Christ. Well, now what we're called to do, living on mission, simply means I want to be hospitable with this truth. I carry it. Illustrate it like, oh, let's choose a sport. Let's say a football, right? So you carry the football. It's in your hand. That's the mission. You carry it. We have it. Generation before carried it. Generation after us will have it, but today the ball's in our hands. And so we get to be hospitable with that, a welcoming place where people can come week in and week out. Ministries, not just Sunday morning, throughout the week, the various ministries that that many of you are familiar with. And so back in October, November of 2020, our church pledged, this congregation pledged $1.8 million towards this project blew our mind, surpassed any goal. It was so exciting to see that pledge made. Many people have kept that pledge. You saw one testimony of a family that was able to fulfill it early. I'm thankful for that. We're going to, in the next couple of weeks, just kind of give some, give some room, uh, both uh, with you as a group and even individually, to talk about let's, 
Let's re-examine. Let's say, am I still in it to go? And so what I want to do, just make a couple points here. I'm going to get to Nehemiah. Just I want to take care of this introduction. This booklet we made uh, for this, we called it All In. In this booklet are pictures of the property, the building. talks about our ministry, our history. If you've not yet seen this, it is online in digital format. But we have hard copies like this right out the door when you leave today. Please pick one up. At the very end of it is what's called a guide for giving. What's your part? My wife and I had to ask that exact question. What's our part in this? And so this guide for giving, we've updated it because this was a three-year commitment. So now if you're joining us, we're at a two-year commitment. So this card updates this last page. These will be in the back afterwards. We'll have them out the next, uh, this Sunday, the following two. Please grab that and be familiar. And then we gave out T-shirts because that's what we do at church a lot. So here's a gray shirt uh, all in. We have these available again today. As you go out the hallway, there'll be tables set up marked by sizes. There's one for everyone. If you already have one from a year and a half ago and you want another one, please help yourself. Uh, If you've not yet grabbed one for yourself, we have kid sizes, please grab one. This is just a reminder of, I'm a part of something that God is doing. So we say this without apology. We believe God is doing something pretty phenomenal among us, and we want to continue to be a part of that. And as Brian said, well, to remind ourselves, how are we doing? Let's check this. Two weeks from today, We'll have a commitment card for everyone, and you'll be able to respond in one of four ways. One, I want to continue the commitment that I made a year and a half ago. And that's obviously our prayers that many people are still continuing what God called them to do a while ago. Two, I was able to fulfill that, or I feel led to add to that. Uh, We've had several people that finished and continue to give. That's awesome. If God's allowed that for you, clearly we want to cheer you on. Uh, thirdly, we've had those that are brand new to our church. And I love that picture. As Brian said, we want to invite everyone to be a part. So maybe you've been aware, but you've, you've seen the phrase, you're aware something's going on, we're building. This is your invitation to join us. And so we'll give you an opportunity to say, yes, I want to be a part. And then the fourth one is, you know what? Uh, life's been kind of messy. I've had some hard things go on, and I just want to be real upfront and honest, and I need to make a change to my commitment. So we'll have that for you in two weeks. Uh, so be praying about what the Lord would have you as a family, you as an individual. Uh, we've had entire families, including the kids, uh, participate. We want all of you to feel a part. So let me make this transition. I want to read this because I want to get it right. Um, we believe when we teach the Scripture that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. We believe that it's written for our learning, for our our hope, and our encouragement. Um, And I need to never make an apology for for, for tying a passage to a current emphasis. So please hear me. I grew up in church world like some of you, and you hear the pastor or the people talk about money and building, and you feel like sometimes, are we a little distracted from what we're here for? What I'm saying is, there's no distraction. We're here to do God's work, and we get to be in a time when it involves physically giving money to physically build a building from which we'll operate. So we say that without apology. But just as important, I want you to know that when we're in the Scriptures, this is God's holy word. He's teaching us principles on living for today. And so this passage isn't manipulated to fit, let's get more money from the people. Everybody good with that? You hearing me? Is it clear? This passage is clearly about God's good work, and there's opposition. And here's what I can guarantee. We heard a little bit on the testimony. 
When you make a commitment to the Lord to serve him, to volunteer in a certain area, to give, to do something for somebody, clearly good work always finds good opposition, opposition that matches it. So I say that as as a segue into our passage. As we continue this study in Nehemiah, there's plenty of applicable moments. We've seen that throughout Ezra and now even with Nehemiah, things that apply to our lives, Uh, moments, whether it's for all in uh, or for you and your life and how you're leading your family, working with those around you. Uh, Any work of this magnitude will get attention from the enemy of God. We are wise to know that. We're wise to understand there's an enemy that would love to distract you, love to discourage you, an enemy that would love to um, uh, discourage the work that we've made commitments to. So today we're going to learn to be aware and to be ready because there is opposition. So opposition expected. Nehemiah chapter 6. Let me, let me jump into this. This is good stuff. Nehemiah 6. You've heard these names before. So when Sanballat and Tobiah uh, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I, Nehemiah's writing here, had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, even though up to that time the doors and the gates weren't in, verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying... Come, let us meet together at Hakafermim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. Everybody say great work. Thank you. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Opposition expected. We would be naive to say that when we gather as a church and we hear God's word, the teaching, the preaching, and we say, you know, in my life, here's what I want to do, that the, Satan, that the enemy of God is not out there saying, yeah, fine, go ahead. The enemy, whether it's a direct attack or through the world system or through uh, uh, human religion, any way, number of ways, opposition is to be expected. So we need to understand that. And here's a few points for you. Number one, be aware that there is an enemy of God's work. Even if you set out to, as I mentioned, in, in, in how you raise your children, if you volunteer to teach our children through Grace Kids, if you're part of our youth ministry, if you're leading a study or the, or the things that the Lord has brought to you and you're serving him in, you're wise to know there is an enemy of God's work. A good leader knows who his enemies are. Now, don't misunderstand that we, that doesn't mean we focus on the enemies. I don't like giving any attention to the enemy because there's too much work to be done. So we don't have to worry about how much attention. It simply is to acknowledge that there is an enemy of what God's trying to do. What God's trying to do. So that He wasn't deceived. Because you know there's an enemy, you're less likely to be deceived by the enemy. Uh, and in this passage, into believing these invitations as they sent out. If you don't remember Sanballat and Tobiah, this would be the the ruling governors, the leaders of both Samaria to the north and then directly to the east across the Jordan River, that area there. Uh, These are people that were hostile to the children of Israel rebuilding the wall. They weren't for it, which is odd. I don't understand why, but they weren't. They were not for it. 
And so now they're saying, hey, why don't, you, uh, why don't you meet us over here? There's this place called Ono, by the way. Let's go there and, and let's have a meeting and talk about this. Um, Nehemiah had the wisdom of God in this moment, as we just read. Be aware there's an enemy. Also, be aware there will always be distractions. You know, Nehemiah could have said, well, this is a cool opportunity for a road trip. I've been working hard. The guys are getting after it. We, we've, there's no more breach left in the wall. We're really kicking it here. So, you know, maybe I'll take some time and just go over here and meet with these guys and kind of entertain what's on their mind, what's on their heart. There's always temptation for distractions. A good leader does not get distracted. I love his statement. Why should we stop the work? See, some people, I don't know if you find yourself on that side of, you know, I would love a break right now. So if someone was to invite me to go over here, I'd go in a heartbeat because I'm just kind of tired of this right here. And sometimes it's good to get away. Please don't misunderstand that. But Nehemiah knew that wasn't what this was about. He knew this was a distraction. He understood this is not for the good of the project or the good of me. Why should the work stop? He didn't say, yeah, sure, I'll come down and, and grab some time away. I'd love that. He didn't do that. Oh no, what a great name, right? A city called Oh No. I would be remiss if I didn't just take advantage of that moment. You know, when the enemy tempts you to go to Oh No, help me, Doug Pierce, what should the response be? Thank you, everybody. It's in the Bible. I don't make this stuff up. It's right there. God has a way of letting us get the easy ones. Pick this up. So when the enemy tempts you to get away from the work, we are going to say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what the t-shirt should say, you know, the... All in on the front and the back would say, oh no, that's cool, huh? Too late. All right. Um, number, the third one, be aware that temptation comes through persistence. They didn't just send a letter saying, hey, let's grab, us some, let's some, grab some coffee over here. We want to talk about this. And you know, he didn't take that mindset of, yeah, I probably should understand how the enemy sees this project. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm not going to leave the work. They sent that four more times. They just kept coming. Do you, ever, do you ever find someone that's always nudging you? Do you ever feel this pull, this, hey, just come and do what we're doing? You know, what they're doing over there is nice and everything, and that's cool if you're into that, but why don't you come over here and do this thing? How about you join us? Hey, I've got an idea. Let's meet over here. You know what? Matter of fact, I'll pay for it. I'll take care of the expenses. Not once, not twice. It just keeps coming. Sometimes temptation comes through persistence. Verse 4, it says, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same way. That's what I love about Nehemiah. He didn't on the second time say, well, let me think about it. The third time, you know, I, I'm not sure my wife wants me to get away right now. He didn't do any of that. He just straight up said, yeah, I'm not leaving the work and get out of my face. Be aware the enemy, I call him the deceiver, say it with me, is and always will be a liar. Don't ever think for a split second that the enemy or those that are opposing the great work of God have any good to bring to the table. This is what's messing in our minds in our current environment. We're all about tolerance, and I understand respecting other people, but don't for a moment think that the work of the enemy in a deceptive way, there might be some good I can squeeze out of that for the good of what I'm doing. What if Nehemiah would have said, honestly, there's people who would think this. Wow, well, Lord, they asked like five times. They kept coming. So I got to believe you're in this, Lord. Why didn't he do that? 
Because he knew. He knew right from the, from the get-go. This is not for the good of what we're about. We've got to know, and I've, you've heard me preach many times, man, stay in the scriptures. I love the book of Proverbs. It's all about wisdom. Stay in the scriptures. Stay in Proverbs. Continue to, to bless each other in the word. That's where the wisdom of God comes from. So when you get that letter in the mail that says, hey, come over here, you know how to respond. The deceiver is and always will be a liar. The fifth time when they sent it, it was a different letter. Um, it is reported among the nations in verse 6. It's reported among the nations. Is that 6? Yeah. Um, and Geshem also says that, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become king. And you've, you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now the king will hear, the, hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So that's the accusation. The guy from the north and the ones from the east are now in letter number five saying to Nehemiah, look, bottom line, the word on the street is you're setting up your own kingdom and you're going to be king and this isn't good. Was there any truth to that? Of course not. Not even close. And I love how he responds. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. Come on, tell me you don't love how the Bible is written. So we would say, you know, you're lying, or where'd that come from? He says, you're inventing this in your head. That's how far gone you are. <laughs> you're inventing up this, you're inventing this story, you're making this up. For they all, Nehemiah admits, for all these others wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. That's the whole point. That was the point of letter number one through five. That was the point of let's go over here. That was the point of the threat. So you're going to build a kingdom, huh? And you're going to have people come to you, huh? And he's like, you're making this up. The whole point was to frighten Nehemiah. So Nehemiah would tremble. So Nehemiah would feel insecure. You ever felt insecure in what God's called you to do? I'm telling you, if you're human, you probably have, for a moment at least. I think God wants me to do this. I think I should go here. I think this should be my response. But we feel intimidated because of a bazillion reasons. Whether it's people like uh, Tobiah, whether it's the governor from up north, and we doubt what God has called us to do. Nehemiah didn't do that. He stayed strong. He acknowledged it. You're making this up in your mind. And he acknowledged all these were trying to discourage us so that we would, what? Stop the work. At the end of the day, that's the point. If you guys would just stop, then we remain in control. So be aware that this lying, deceiving enemy is the same today as he was back then. The work of God today through churches like ours, throughout our city, around the world, there's an enemy that is not in favor of what's happening. So he's going to lie to you. He's going to deceive you. They want us to stop the work. You know, I don't like building programs, and they just keep talking about that. And you know what? I don't want to wear that dumb shirt. That's stupid. You don't need a building. Just give all your money to the poor and let's just keep meeting on the street corner. We don't need to do that. You can hear the, the silly stuff. And I understand there's reasons people say what they do. Usually they've been hurt. Usually they've been burned somewhere. Didn't go through it well. 
I understand that. You know, we don't need to teach in kids' church. There's people that do that, right? <laughs> You're like, Pastor Mark, let's not do guilt today, okay? Let's just not go guilt. I'm not going guilt. I'm just saying there's good work that we need to do, and it's the right work. But yet there's an enemy that says, that's not for you. Let someone else do that. And I'm afraid we buy into that. We're like, yeah, maybe. And so you withdraw. Let's go over here. This church isn't doing that. This, this home group isn't doing that. These, over here, I can step away from this, this commotion. That's just not for me. Let's just honestly say it's not for me. And Nehemiah is like, yeah, uh, you're trying to frighten us, and I won't be frightened. You're making this up in your mind. You're inventing this story. I love this last part of verse 9. They want our hands to drop so it won't be done. And then he says, but now, oh God, what? Strengthen my hand. We've seen this over and over again. We're going to see it still today. He goes to God. This isn't a matter of man-to-man and philosophy of ministry and what do I think about this. This It's like, God, you've called me to do this, so straight ahead. My eyes are on it. We're doing it. And now he says, this is what's happening. Lord, would you strengthen me? How many of you would say, there's times I know I need strength from the Lord? Come on. Absolutely. I need God's strength. If I don't need God's strength, then that means what I'm doing, I'm just kind of doing out here. But when I know I'm doing a good work, and I'm a part of something that's, that's maybe challenging and hard, and it's got some, got some stuff to it, I have to admit, God, I need your help on this. And I'm not just talking about giving money to an offering. I'm talking about how we live this life, this deceiver has an agenda. But Nehemiah stands tall and says, God, would you strengthen me? So beware of these things, but be ready with a clear answer. I don't know if you ever feel insecure, like, well, I don't know what I would do if I got that letter. I don't know what I would say when someone comes to me in the hallway afterwards complaining about something. What do I say? Verse 8, when he said, then I sent him saying, no such thing as you have been done. You're inventing them. Again, wisdom and clarity. You know how to be ready to give an answer? As I mentioned, stay in the word. Stay close to the heart of the Lord. Don't memorize a bunch of hard things. Just say, God, I want to walk with you through this as you guide my spirit and you guide my soul through life and with my, my, my family. God, I just want to know your word. I want to be able to understand what you're doing. Nehemiah was able to stand in the strength of the Lord with a clear answer, I think, because he knew God. Nehemiah wasn't soft peddling. Nehemiah wasn't saying, well, we had we to be careful with these guys. There's no record of him saying to his, his guys, hey, there's a guy up north and a guy to the east. We really need to be careful. He didn't do that. He straight out called them what it was. You're inventing this ridiculousness from your own imagination. I love that. Be ready with a clear answer. Be ready by depending on God. When he said, oh, God, you strengthen my hands, uh, we see his prayer throughout this study. Um, this prayer projects a dependency. This prayer says, God, I, I need you. I love some of our worship songs that, that bring that to the forefront where we say, God, thank you for all you're doing, but Lord, I need you. Absolutely, we need God's spirit as he guides us, the Holy Spirit with us. Be ready with a clear answer. Be ready by depending upon God. Nehemiah did not say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I think I've got this. Man, the wall, look how far we've come. I think we're doing okay. He never had that sense of this is all in a safe place. There was always a dependency on God. Because when God answers our prayer, when God gives us strength, there's more challenges ahead, more opportunities ahead. 
So opposition is expected, but also opposition comes from deception. Here we have the opposition, but look, look at the difference in the story, verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together. So now he's in someone's home that he knows. This isn't from the governors. This isn't the letters. In the normal business, I'm, I find myself in someone's house. We're having coffee. Um, and that person that I'm in their house says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Now, there would be this immediate sense of, wow, thanks for looking out for my back. Yeah, let's go. Please understand in the context of this, of this uh, story that going to the temple and hiding there because someone would be killing them would be desecrating the purpose of the temple, of the tabernacle. It wouldn't be something that would be welcomed. It wouldn't be something that would be correct. Nehemiah knew this. So now all of a sudden there's something that triggers in his mind. This isn't sounding right what you're saying to me, he says. We have the same cautions we had up ahead. Be aware of the enemy at work, even through close friendships. There's people you know. It's not just a letter from someone out there that you expect to be against what you've committed to. There might be people close to you. Someone I know, I'm in your house. Hey, you know, they're out to kill you, so we should, we should run and hide. Be aware of the enemy. Again, be aware of the persistence of the enemy and the temptations to be distracted. Shemaiah was the son of a priest who was an intimate friend of Nehemiah. Wait a second, I can't trust this person? What, what, it's, it's, the, it's the message that he's brought to him that says something's not right here. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man run, like I run this way? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin, break the rules, do my thing, just because someone is saying, hey, watch out. It's very important. And I understood, and I saw that God had not sent him. This is huge. I saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him for this purpose. He was hired, that I should be afraid. Remember, we said that before. The whole point is to make me afraid so we quit doing the work. And if I act in this way, and then I sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. What does he do? He did it before. He does it right here in verse number 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. Lord, there's some enemies out there. They're stirring things up. He says, remember them according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Nehemiah was ready. He was ready for this. That open letter that he read failed to intimidate him. because Not because he's a super saint, but because he walked with God. Because he knew God had called him to do something. He had made a decision. He had, he had the movement of God on his, on his behalf. Look what God's doing around us. The wall is being built. When we get to verse 15, be ready to watch God work. How many of you like that part? Like, like the, the, the opposition, yikes. I wish I didn't have to deal with that. The opposition that comes close at hand with people that I kind of know, my dad's friend. Man, I don't like that. But how about, how about that part that says, let's just do what God's called us to do and then watch what God will do. Verse 15. So the wall was finished. Nehemiah 6.15. Big deal, by the way. So the wall was finished on the 20th day in the month of Elul in 52 days. 
I keep sending that message to Brian and the rest of the people building our building saying, come on, guys, in the Bible, 52 days. I don't understand this year thing. I get no response, thankfully. 52 days they built the wall, completed. That's huge. That's a big deal. It's a big undertaking. Look what God did because they stayed at it. Nehemiah didn't say, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's get people and start building. And chapter, you know, remember earlier, all the people doing all the work. And he didn't, he stayed at it. And now you're at a point where 50 days later, look what God did. But then, and when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly on their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Did you catch that? Who saw that God did the work? Everyone. The enemies, the guys sending the letters, the guys saying, let's go meet in the temple and hide. The guys that are saying, hey, they're all out to kill you. The guys that were saying, you know, you so you're a king. No, all those guys, now they're saying, oh, look what God did. Oh, look what God did. So whether we're talking about what God, I believe, is doing through our church with a specific project that we're excited about but definitely has uh, finances attached to it, whether we're talking about that, what he's already done and what he's going to do, or whether we're talking about stuff in just our lives, the things that we live with at home, God is doing a good work. He's not done with you. I love this part of the gospel of Jesus. He doesn't redeem us, save us, and then the next day we die and go to heaven. Have you noticed that? I've always said that'd be a hard way to sell the gospel to people. Get right with God, and then you can go see him. We get right with God, and then he leaves us here, and we get to grow. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here's the million-dollar question I want us to hang with for a second. What is the application? What is the application of this idea of God doing a good work in my life and through us? Because it might not just be, well, am I going to give money to a project? Or am I going to you know, start serving in a certain area? What is the work of God in my life that he's doing to grow me, to show me his grace? What is this work that God has called me to be a part of in serving his purposes? What is that work, listen, that is worthy of the enemy of God causing delay, distraction, and discouragement? That's a question for you. Don't look at me. I'm not the rah-rah cheerleader that says, okay, everybody, let's all do this one thing. And absolutely, the building thing is what it is. But please hear the heart of God. There's an enemy that wants to discourage, distract. He wants to get us off chart. He wants us to, 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 feel, to feel the fear and to drop our hands from serving him. And we're over here. We think, man, we know it's all about grace. I know God loves me. But man, I feel horrible. <laughs> what is that thing that God... Not me, not a program, not a plan. What, what's the thing that the Lord Jesus has put in front of you that says, hey man, this is what I'm calling you to do and I want to do it with you. But it's worthy of opposition. There's an enemy who's, who's on alert. In, um, in Philippians, that verse I read, he's doing a good work. We call this sanctification. That's a theological word I like to use. It, it's that idea that, that, 
what I have because of Jesus. I got saved when I went to the cross and he justified me. I, I'm right with him. I die from that moment to the, the end of my life. Whenever I die, I'm with him. That's, I've been saved. But then there's this thing that most all of us who know Christ are living this out every day. That idea of sanctification, that God is doing something. It's active. He's not on pause. He's not far away. He's with us. This working in me. He says it in, in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now in my presence, but even much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He gives us an example. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his pleasure. And then he continues, and he's going to give a list, but let me just say the first one. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So what's God's good work? Be connected to what he's doing. Lord, what is that thing you've called me to do? Yes, as a church, we've made some decisions. There's a, there's a plan forward, and we're rallying everyone together to do that. But I want it to be very personal for you. What is that that God has called you to do? What is that in your life that he's saying, man, I, I love you so much. I'm so with you. But there's this thing I really want to talk with you about. There's this thing that I feel like you're, holding, you're being held back because of. Or there's a saying that your kids would love to see and whatever it may be, that God is doing something. He's, he's directing us. Work out your own salvation. Do this thing where it says, God, I want to be faithful to who you are. Not work for salvation. I don't need to say that, right? It's not work for salvation because you can't. But because I'm saved, God, I want to give you my all. I want to serve you. Because God is the one who's working in us. The presence, the gift, the beauty of the Holy Spirit of God who's with us. And all of our life takes us to the, to the doorway of death and ushers us into the very presence of Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's powerful. He's in this moment. There's not a wasted moment of breath that he's given you. Whether you're in the middle of it at the beginning or you're seeing the end, the very presence of God is not wasted in every moment you're alive. He's doing his work. <laughs> I threw that in there because it's the next verse. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's one way it looks. <laughs> That's one of the ways it looks like. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the, 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 the result of having the Spirit of God with me is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is perfection and never having a problem. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is not having opposition. It says the fruit of the Spirit is how I'm going to deal with that stuff. Colossians 1, to them, God chose to make known this great mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. I love it. You've heard me do it before. Say these three words with me, Christ in me. We're all going to say, if you're born again, you know this. I want you to say that. Declare it. Christ in in this very second, as you drove here, your time here, as you leave, when you face opposition, when you're overwhelmed with what God may or may not be doing in your life, when you're overwhelmed with what is that thing in my life that God's called me to do, I always have, say it with me, forever and for always. He doesn't save you and leave you. He doesn't save you and say, you know, I love you so much. I did all this thing for you. And if you'll just hold your side of the bargain, this is going to be a great relationship. I'm always with you. We're working this out. We're living this out. So let me wrap it up. Do you realize we get to do this? 
we get to do what God's called us to do. I got to say this because it's a beautiful application, but congratulations to the Green family. I love these guys, and you've heard their testimony before, but they've adopted uh, some children, and this last week, the last four were now added to the team. Everybody on that row is a Green right now, so we love that. Congratulations, you guys. And those great kids of theirs get to grow up saying, do you realize we get to do this? We're Greens. I walked into the house yesterday, and one of the little guys, the littlest guy, I think, right, one of them said, yeah, I got adopted. Yeah. That's the, we get to do this. We get to be greens. We get to be followers of Jesus. We get to live in Flagstaff in 2022. We get to be a part of this, whatever all this stuff is. Um, so the Great Commission calls us to say, God, we're all in. What have you called us to do? So let's commit to asking God to do his best work through us. I'm going to ask you these next couple of weeks as we do the financial part of it, just as God applies these things to your life, not just in a, a, a program like this, but in, your, in the details of your life, let's commit to asking God to do his best work through us. One thing we said at the very beginning of the all in thing, and it's still my, it's still my mantra, this isn't about finding the five rich people to make this thing work. It's about every person being a part. And I've loved seeing families, uh, children, grade school kids uh, make a commitment, you know, a couple years ago of of $10 and they did it. And I'm like, praise God, that's why this is going to work. Let's ask God to do his best work through us, not just in a giving thing, but in everything that God's called me to do. Let's commit to asking God to prepare our church for the plans he has before us. I've shared with our staff and our elders, Grace Community is going to feel a little different a year from now. And I, and I like it. it. This is going to be good. It's good stuff. But it's going to be different. We've done church a certain way for a long time. And praise God, we're going to stay true to who we are. You'll still see these words. You'll still see this pulpit. You'll still see that what we're saying and what we're doing. It's going to feel a little different because we have a place with, with wide open doors. I'm, I'm excited for that. Let's commit to asking God to prepare our church for the plans he has before us. And let's commit to being ready to see God work through our obedience and our sacrifice. Amen? They pray for us. God, we are grateful uh, for this, this, this story of Nehemiah where we know the wall gets built. We know the mission is accomplished. And we're going to see in a few weeks when they come and they read the word and they worship you. And, and we can't wait to see the, the hand of God uh, active like this. But, but Lord, we, we kind of paused this morning because there was opposition And I think all of us are wise enough to know that opposition is for real, but honestly, we just wish it wasn't there. And so, would you help us to be ready for that? To be aware of opposition? Not to be judgmental and to be on the attack, but just simply to have that confidence that you are good, you are God, and you're doing a great work. No matter the stuff that we're battling and the the, the things in our head, Lord, you're doing a good work through our testimony, through our lives, through our family. We have so much to look back on and see your faithfulness. And God, that's why we worship. That's why we sing songs. That's why we open scripture. It's because you've always been faithful. And we can't wait to get to tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and know that you're still working out your purposes through us. God, you are a good God and we love you and we worship you. Thank you for meeting with us and blessing us as we go throughout our community. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.